Thank you for joining us. Powerful worship. Man, thank you so much. This It's nothing better than for me is to just go in and just be able to sit and rest. I don't know about some of y'all, but I like to just go outside and just sit and just rest and just be quiet. You guys will probably know this, but Julie does all the talking in the family. And so uh, I just have to go outside sometime. <laughs> uh, if you've been around here long, you know that is not the truth at all. I don't know why she doesn't disappear anymore than she does. We've been talking about one another series. And uh, let me tell you, it's just been good. Uh, the Lord has challenged me every time, uh, whether it's connecting with one another or loving one another, or forgiving one another. That's a difficult one. Um, or encouraging one another. It seems to be easy, but sometimes it's hard. Sometimes people rob your ability to encourage them. It, you know, that's, that's difficult. And so we're going to move on this morning as we talk about welcoming, how to welcome one another. It almost seems so plain and simplistic, but there is a very great power in just welcoming one another. Just to look across the the, the aisle there, the pew there, and when we do the meet and greet, and just welcome. When somebody comes in and they, they don't, they're new to this church, to let them know that they're welcome. That we, we want them here. We don't just hope they show up, but kind of like, how many of y'all eat at the dinner table? You eat at the dinner table, and it's just, okay, Josh and Janetta, y'all, y'all my soul brothers and sisters right here. When you, when you eat at the dinner table and your kids are not there, and you're like, somebody's missing here. That's, that's not good, and I pray today that our hearts are the same way, that we look around and we say, man, I'm missing my brothers and sisters today. Um, and so I pray God would put this heart in us as we pray. Father in heaven, as always, Lord, what a pleasure it is, what a pleasure it is to get to engage and interact with your word personally. Oh, how you speak to things that we never knew we needed answers for. We read the pages of your word, God, how you unfold the truth of wisdom and grace. Lord, I thank you. And God, I pray today that, that today is no different. Lord, that we submit ourselves, God, uh, under your hospitality of the Holy Spirit, that you would entertain us, God, with our learnings, and, and that you would help us, Lord, to become more like your son, Jesus, who gave everything regardless and despite all the things he had to suffer and go through. Lord, he, he served you, Father, with an attitude and, uh, uh, and an act, God, far beyond our capacity. We pray that that same heart is what lives in us. And if it doesn't yet, we pray that it soon will. Lord, we love you. We ask that you anoint us today as we read your word. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. When I was about 12 years old, I had two friends. I had more than two friends at 12, but I had specifically two friends. And uh, one friend, I would go over to their house, and his mom was always so very kind. I, I would uh, ring the doorbell, and she would open the door, 
And uh, she would say, oh, hello, Scott, come on in. And, and she would show me where my friend Josh was at. And so we would go to his room, and he was getting the Nintendo set up because Mike Tyson was hot back then. And so uh, we were going in, and she'd come in, and she'd say, can I get you boys a, a drink or a snack, you know? And I'm like, man, this is, I like this house, you know, this is a nice house. And so there she, she uh, uh, brought drinks and snacks, and she would also follow up, and she would say, now, Scott, how's your parents doing? And I, I didn't want to be truthful, so I said, they're doing great. They're doing good. Uh, I, thanks for asking. Um, how are you doing? <laughs> and so uh, it was a great time. Now, I had another friend. Uh, it wasn't always that way. I would go knock on the door, and he would meet me at the door. And as I would come in, I would hear probably somewhere from the kitchen say, now, remember, I don't let folks sit on the furniture in the front room <laughs> as I'm walking through the door. I'm like, okay, I, okay, we don't sit on the furniture in the front room. I get that. And then as I went back to the, the den, I would hear her holler out, I'm about to go to work. Y'all stay out the kitchen. It's clean. <laughs> Hospitality everywhere. You know, just wonderful. And then, uh, and then she would show up uh, while we were playing in the room, and she would say, now, remember, your friends your responsibility. You know, I never felt so much love and acceptance in my entire life. Like, like this is the place we wanted to be, right? I can't sit on the furniture in the front room. Uh, I got to remember I can't go in the kitchen because it's clean. And then whatever I do, Damon's going to have to pay for it because my his friend is his responsibility. Can I tell you that those two houses were absolutely different? Uh, I still love both of those guys. But here's, here's some things as I was thinking back through this weekend kind of what that was like. You know, it was, it was different hanging out for sure, but here's what I know, is that how you welcome someone in your home says a lot about you. True? You've been to people's houses, they've welcomed you or not welcomed you, and you realize really quick, oh, okay, you know, okay, I know, I know how to relate to you. But more importantly, it sets their expectation of you. And so what I want you to know this morning is that how we welcome someone in this church says a lot about us. Amen? Mm, okay. Glad you guys are new around here. But more importantly, what I want you to know is how we welcome people sets their expectation of us. So just back off for a second and think about that. That, that our ability to welcome determines our ability to set expectations. I want you to really hold on to that for a second. Because everyone who comes through those doors back there absolutely matter. They absolutely matter. I say that authoritatively because if I catch you not doing that, we're going to have a talk. I'm going to ground you, put you in the corner. Everyone absolutely matters coming through that door. Because I know that one time I came through that door, and you didn't want someone like me in my age, what I was going through, coming through your door. But somebody said, that boy is broke and messed up, and he's going to create a mess when he gets here. But I know that he needs to be here because of all places in eternity, this is where he belongs. And can I tell you this morning that our ability to welcome determines our ability, our, our ability to set expectations for their life. We want here at Harrison Faith Church to everyone to come through those doors, to, to be accepted, to be welcome, uh, to be just as hopefully met that you, when you were met, uh, to be accepted as well. And by extension, we not only want our church to feel that way, we also want your home to feel that way. 
For your house is a representation of this house. It's true. In case you didn't know, you didn't see that in Revelations 54, verse 1, I'm telling you that it, it says it right there, that your house is a representation of this house. Because if they go to your house and then they come here, they'll already have expectation about how we're going to act because they know how you act. And so that puts us under this indictment. How are we supposed to act? Well, let me just tell you real fast, as the pastor of this church, here is my heart, that everyone is included, that everyone is loved, and that we are friendly to everybody, even those who do not welcome friendliness well. I remember my pastor um, a long time ago, we used to have a, um, uh, a motorcycle club uh, called Hard Riders right down the road. It was a kind of a rough place. And these, these two guys came in, and uh, one guy came in full chaps, big uh, shades. He's probably about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and he stood over there like this, you know, while his friend was talking to pastor. And uh, my old pastor, if you, if you knew him, if you, if you talked to him, you were going to get a hug. You had no will in the choice, you know. And if you opposed that, he was rather a large man, very explosively powerful, and he would quick to dominate you to let you know that the authority of the risen king is in his muscles, and he would let you know real fast that you are subject to his king. And so he came in, was talking with another guy, and the other guy was over there, and he was all just bowed up, and he walked over, and he said, this is my friend Terry, and Terry was, you know, just emotionless, blankless, did not want to be in the church. My pastor saw him. He said, Terry, he goes, here's the rule. When you come in this house, you get a hug, you know. <laughs> this guy just sat like this. He was, he was not going to be hugged. You were not going to hug him. He was not going to be okay with it. And so he sat there, and I've never seen a man be raised up like a, stick figure, you know, like that. And Terry, he got picked up from my pastor and just, you know, sat back down just like that. And uh, I'm telling you, sometimes some of us need to say, I don't respect your will. I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to include you anyway. I'm going to care for you anyway. Because we're under a mandate, because I know that there was this man called Christ Regardless of how we felt towards him, he said, I'm going to love you even though you don't even know me yet or even love me yet. And so we should be welcome to and open to this idea of hospitality. Now, I know that I'm speaking to Southerns, mostly Southerns. Now, you're, you're either Southern because you was born Southern or you're down here in the culture. Either way, we'll just accept you, right, call you our own. But I know there's something about these Southern parts of the state we had this thing called hospitality, right? Southern hospitality. When I used to travel over the nation, I couldn't wait to get across that line. And you really knew how you crossed that line when there was actually sweet tea in the gas station. That's when you knew you was back in the southern states. I couldn't wait when somebody would meet you at 6 o'clock in the morning and say, how you doing this morning? I'm back in the south. Thank you, Jesus. They care about me, don't even know who I am, just want my 50 cents, you know. And so I was so excited to get back down to the south many, many times. Northern folks were great. I had no problems with them at all, but there was something about that southern hospitality that I love. But can I tell you that we are not called to, to southern hospitality. We are called to a 
biblical hospitality. For we are believers in Christ, and that is different uh, than unbelievers and their acts of loving others because you can be unsaved and still have southern hospitality. But you and I, we're saved and we're southern, and so therefore our hospitality should be the gold standard, right? If you're living here in Arkansas, you should be able to have an incredible um, uh, concept or grasp on biblical hospitality. So what is biblical hospitality? Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. What is biblical hospitality? Peter writes quite a bit about our attitudes and our actions. And so he comes down to the book, the fourth chapter of the book, and he stops on this one particular scripture, and he says, show hospitality to one another uh, without grumbling. Without grumbling. Now, this key word here is uh, hospitality in the Greek is philoxenos, and what that simply means is it's a love for strangers. That biblical hospitality is a love for strangers. And you think, oh, man, that's getting kind of weird. It's getting kind of strange, Pastor Scott. No pun intended. All right, let's keep going. All right, so if you move to Matthew 25, verse 35, we see this biblical hospitality in the love for strangers. Jesus says this. He illustrates it. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. And so Jesus is saying here, when I was unfamiliar to you, you treated me as if you knew me. But Peter goes even further to clarify what biblical hospitality is because he says in the last part of that verse in uh, chapter 4, verse 9, he says to one another without grumbling, you know, grumbling. You know what that is? Grumbling. Yeah, okay, all right. Yes, you do. You know what grumbling is. Some of y'all, Pastor Scott, every time you ask me to do something out loud in public in the church, I grumble, you know, I don't want to do it, but it's all good. So biblical hospitality is welcoming people unfamiliar to you with a brotherly love without disgruntled feelings. Let's have an altar call. Y'all ready? Y'all good? Y'all y'all convicted? We ready to repent? Because that's hard stuff. That's, that's not easy things to do, to, to, to welcome people unfamiliar to you, unlike you, with a brotherly love without disgruntled feelings. So why might we grumble? Why might we grumble? Because I'll tell you why hospitality is an inconvenience. It's an inconvenience. We should understand that both in our church and in our homes, hospitality is both an inconvenience and a risk. And it's an inconvenience because you have to uh, uh, sacrifice your time, your energy, sometimes your resources. But biblical hospitality is an even greater inconvenience because we're not just welcoming the people we love, right? It's easy to host your family. Hopefully, most of you can host your family with good attitudes without grumbling, you know. But you can bring them in, and you love to do that. You love to, to be hospitable to them. But the cost of welcoming people in that are not like you with your time, your energy, and your resources is a bit challenging. You see, we welcome all, not just those we want, not just those who are like us. In fact, we are to welcome all who would come, not all who would be invited. We forget that when we ask everyone to come, everyone that comes are the people typically we don't 
really want coming because if you come, you're going to mess stuff up, you know. Uh, I used to be the kid that would show up at the parents' house, and they were like, oh, Scott's here, you know. You could have asked the other friends, but Scott's here. And uh, Scott's going to mess it up. I'm going to do things that probably wasn't as um, kosher, you know, with my other friends. But here it is, is that when we open our doors and our hearts, what we find is that hospitality is risky because it opens us up to hurt and some hardship, some inconvenience, sometimes some suffering, and other things that we need, endurance and patience and the love of Christ to supernaturally overwhelm us and make us smile and love people, you know, beyond our ability. Uh, because if we're being honest, people who come through those doors right there have probably or maybe they have treated you wrongly at work. And now it's difficult that they're here in your church, and it's hard to be disturbed by them when you're trying to be in a place of peace, and now there's hostility while they're in your home. And so you're thinking, how am I going to be hospitable and welcome them? Or maybe when people walk through those doors and you know there's some offense that you have with them over a family issue, and now you're supposed to worship with them. Now you're supposed to love them. Now you're supposed to welcome them. Maybe they're the ones that took your seat at the football game, you know? Uh, maybe they shouted indecent things, you, indecent things at you at the stoplight. I was driving uh, last week, and we pulled to the stoplight, and this guy behind me, he got out, and he was yelling at the guy behind him. I don't know what was going on, but I thought, brother, uh, that's not a good idea. <laughs> you know, you need to get back in your vehicle. Um, and so what happens when, when the guy that shouts at you at the stoplight shows up next to you <laughs> in your pew? <laughs> Uh, glad to have you, brother. <laughs> you know, I mean, how do you process that, you know, without being, um, you know, Southern? Because we can fake that stuff all day long. So glad to have you. I'm so, what, can you believe this guy? Yeah, yes, hey, it's uh, just, it's all for you. Yeah, sure, she can come on, sit down. You know, we can, we can play the game all day long. We know how to do it. What do we do when they bring bad reputations with them? What do we do when you know some stuff about them that you hope nobody else knows about them? How do you welcome them? How do you make sure you're not um, off-putting with them, that you're not too standoff because you know them and you think, mm, I don't want to be around you in public. I don't know how I'd navigate this here in church. They give you reasons not to trust them or to work on your forgive one another. They challenge you to love one another. They empty you of your words when you're supposed to encourage one another. And because of these things, they make it difficult to welcome one another. And these types of hardships are exactly what Peter was talking about in the first book of Peter. In fact, he's saying, listen, Gentiles, I know you're going through some suffering and some hardships. But let me just tell you something really quick, Gentiles, who are non-Jews. And they've been saved, and he's saying, I want you to know that you have a new identity, that you have a new family, and that you have a new heritage, and that the suffering that you're going through, you need to know, is, is 
the same thing that your heritage just went through. When we came out of Exodus and went through the wilderness, we went through a lot of hardships and suffering too. Just know that you're identifying with us in your suffering and your hardship, but be of good courage because just like we were waiting for a Messiah, the Messiah actually came. And we were waiting for a king to deliver us, but guess what for you? A king actually came. And so finally you're in a place where you can share with us knowing that you're not living in a place that you call your home. So get your head up. Even though you're going to endure hardship and suffering, get your head up. Get your head up because you have a hope for a king who will return and vindicate you. And just so you know, as he writes to this crowd, your suffering is a witness to Jesus. Have you ever thought about that for a second? That what you're going through, whether it's a relational thing or a personal thing, that your suffering and how you walk your suffering out is a witness to Jesus. Because you and I have something inside of us that causes us to operate at a different level, at a different capacity that the world does. He not only just spoke to these, these people as if they were going through small things, it was very difficult things. He tells them in chapter 2, 13 through 14, I don't have it on the screen, but he says, encourage the people to be subject to every human institution, whether it's your president or your governor, honor them and respect them. Y'all have it easy. It's not hard for you. See, that's easy for you. You don't get that. But then he says, submit yourself to your masters who are unjust. Even though they're not righteous, you're supposed to serve them and do good for them. And then he says, now women, if you are if, if your husband is unjust and does not obey the word of God, just so you know, I'm not making this up. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 2 of 1 Peter, he says, submit to them even though they're not godly men. Those are difficult things. He says, do good and encourages them to suffer and endure and do good works. By this we do, we glorify God, allowing them to see him. When we suffer hardships and with obedience and rejoicing, that's a challenge for me. It's a difficult thing for me. You do something bad to me, I want to get back really fast. In fact, if, if, if I can, can I just tell you this story and y'all not judge me? Is that okay? Yeah, I know. My family was like, oh, Lord, Dad, please, please. So about a few years ago, right before COVID, I went inside to Lowe's, and uh, I came out, had my stuff, and some for some reason this car had decided to park underneath me. I don't know if it was worried about the rain that was coming or was scared because it looked like total junk, but it had parked up underneath my bumper. And as I came out, and I thought, huh, hmm, <laughs> where is this person at, you know, because uh, I'm kind of upset. I know you don't care about your car, but... That's my truck, and that matters to me, and you are hiding underneath it. And so I'm so frustrated, and I'm, in my mind, I'm like, do unto others as they have done unto you. That's what I'm thinking about that time. <laughs> and so I just, I'm just stewing. I'm just stewing. And so then I hear the thunder go, you know, and it's drops start to come down. I'm like, man, okay, have a nice day. I grab his windshield wipers, I break them over my knee, I throw them on the, on the hood, and I, and I drive off and let them, thinking the whole time, <laughs> you wait till them, that rain comes down and see what happens now, buddy, you know? 
Because there's something about it that when you, when you mess with us, we want to respond. You know, I was a bit passive aggressive that day. I didn't slot his tires, you know, so I was that saved. I was that saved. I didn't always used to be that saved. But there's something about us that, that, that when people bring hardships to us, the last thing we respond is, I got to do good for them. That's just not how I think. Maybe you are more sanctified than I. Please teach a class next Wednesday starting in January. But I am not there. I have a difficult time loving people and doing good, doing good to those who would offend me or my family. Because there's something inside of me that wants to protect what I have and who I am. And Peter says this to those of us like me who have people parking under their bumper or bring baggage to them with, into the church or have husbands who don't obey the word or employers who are unjust or presidents and governors who make life hard. Here's what he says to them. Verse 8 through 9, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. That means don't waver. Don't waver in your love. Don't love them when they're lovable and not love them when they're not lovable, but earnestly and consistently love them since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And so I would tell you today is that there is a power when we respond to people with good and with the right heart and without grumbling. And I would suggest to you today that biblical hospitality is the light of the world. I, I say that in a way that I could shout it this big. I want you, if you only remember one thing, you could agree or di- I pray that you disagree with me. Go home and read your word and find it to be true. I want this to be in your heart that biblical hospitality is the light of the world. That something that seems to be so small and practical can be so powerful. So let me answer the question that you might be thinking is how is biblical hospitality uh, a light to the world? A question might ask that we might ask is, 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 is this one of the good things that Peter is talking about in his letter? And so he says in many places about doing good. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, he says, For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. 2 verse 20 says, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. 3, 5 through 6 says, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. 3 verse 11 says, let him turn away from evil and do good and let him seek peace and pursue it. 3 verse 17 says, for it is better to suffer for, suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. And 4 verse 19 says, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls. That's a big word, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So why does the Apostle Peter want us to do good in the face of hardship? 2 verse 12 tells us this. He says, keeping or keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Here's what I noticed here is that even when they're saying 
wrong things, unjust things about you that you're wrong. He says, keep your conduct honorable. Don't respond like your pastor (laughs) when they park under your bumper. He says that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. That is the power in that, that your good deeds actually have a power to provide a spiritual light to them. Because I remind you, they're walking in darkness. They're walking in uh, tumultuous times, times they can't see the spiritual things going on. And your ability to stop and slow down and respond to them in a good way helps them turn the light on. That they might see God and glorify him instead of speaking of evil against you. So the question might be is, is hospitality a good deed that Peter's talking about? which causes unbelievers to see something, which moves them from repenting to uh, uh, speak about you to glorify God instead. But can I tell you that it's just not good deeds. Doing good deeds can't just be hospitality. Uh, It has to be shown without grumbling. Philippians 2, 14 through 15 says this. Do all things. Let me just let that set on you for a second. All things things, including hospitality, without grumbling. Can I just say that again? Can all the parents just say this out loud? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Parents, is this an amen moment? Everything I ask you to do, I need you to do with an absolute joyous light of the candle of Jesus. Hallelujah. Speaking tongues, amen, attitude. Please, God, save my children. That they'll sweep that house with a smile on their face. I say, oh, Lord, teach me to do it first. Do all things, including hospitality, without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. What we read here is that when we do good deeds, we offer hospitality without grumbling. We shine as lights in the world. Paul makes a contrast here. He says even though we live in a world that is a cause for grumbling. Our world is a good cause for us to grumble and complain. He says our abstaining from it while doing good deeds becomes a light for others. And I would suggest to you this morning that we are the light of the world when we show hospitality while rejecting the world's reasons for grumbling. Let me say that again. We are the light of the world when we show hospitality. We welcome those who are not Normally welcome, while rejecting the world's reasons for grumbling. Being grumble-free in our good deeds is the light in the darkness. In fact, I thought about it yesterday. We're probably going to do it. Just at some point, expect a T-shirt sometime next year that just says grumble-free. I think we just need to walk around here grumble-free. You know what I mean? You should show up one day. When, When you wake up and you know you're tired, and you're going to work, and your hormones are out of balance, 
or, or your, you know your boss has been working days straight and it's not going to be a good day, reach into your closet and grab your grumble-free T-shirt to remind you of who you are. Now, if my staff wears that every day, I'm going to have to talk to them. <laughs> but let, let me let Jesus elevate this, okay, because this is what he does. Matthew 5, 11 through 16 says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your, for your reward is great in heaven. Man, we could stop right there, period. But he doesn't. Puts a comma. For so they persecuted the prophets, you're not alone, who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer food or is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all that is in the house. In the same way, let your light shine, Harrison Faith, before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Are you are you grumble-free? Are your deeds grumble-free? Are they good deeds that are grumble-free, that they might shine so bright and glorify our Father? But notice what Jesus says. He says lots of people really do good works. They do good deeds with good attitudes. But the real explanation that you belong to me, the real reason to which the world has no answer for your actions is when he says in the first part of verse 5, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. If we can let Jesus just raise the bar, here's what we should walk away knowing, that we are the light of the world when despite hardship, we show hospitality without grumbling. Regardless of who walks in to this house, regardless of our experience or our past or our knowledge about them or how they smell or how they look or how different they act, regardless of those things we might classify or categorize as hardships, we show hospitality without grumbling. That means we're a joy to do it. Notice what Peter says about hardships as the worship team comes back. Notice what Peter says about hardships. First Peter 2.21, he says this, For to this you have been called. Concerning hardships and suffering, those problems that we have with people. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. And then he expands this calling by saying this in 3 verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary... Bless. I just love this Christianity stuff. You know what I mean? Let's just make it so high and so lofty and so unattainable that we know we can't do it on our own. And say, this is what you were called for, that you may attain a blessing. There is a blessing for us when we act in such a way that we can only accomplish those actions and those attitudes if Christ in us is living. You cannot fake 
loving people and reaching out to people and doing good to people when they do wrong to you and actually earnestly enjoy it. But notice what the New Testament says about this type of hospitality. Hebrews 13, 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now that's interesting to me. Because what the word says very clearly is, is that if you'll just do what I've asked you to do, you might entertain a promise. You might entertain a deliverance. You might entertain a message. Angels were messengers. They were ministering spirits. You might open yourself up for some hope or some help or some healing that you never would have had before. But because you are open to those things and you entertain an angel, you entertain your answer unaware. If you do this, if you just practice biblical hospitality. Man, I don't know about you, but I don't just want my church to function that way. I want my home to function that way. I want people to come into my home. And Julie and I, we searched forever trying to find a house because we wanted a house that people could just come in and just go, Whew. can I just talk, <laughs> Pastor Scott? Absolutely. Because here is a place that I talk to a king who provides hope and help and healing. And I want you to have what I have in this home. I want you to have what I have in this house. And the only way we actually facilitate that is if you and I will look at every person that comes to that room and say, can I be the first to tell you that I welcome you even though you know every single evil deed about them. You let them know. You love them. And you care for them. Not because you have reason or justification, but because there was one who loved you when he knew every single evil deed about you. And he reached out his hand and said, welcome to the kingdom. And so that is what our compulsion is today. This morning, I want to close a little bit different. I want to close with communion. The ushers will go ahead and move. Because it's important for us to practice this for, one, Jesus asks us to remember him in those things as an ordinance of the church. But as I was reading through this week, I saw in chapter 11 that before we get down to the Lord's Supper, what we see is this, is that Paul addresses a church that was not welcoming. They were actually a not, not welcoming people at all. They had factions and divisions. And, and Paul says, what are you doing? You're, you're shaming the church of God. These people were not allowing others to associate with them. They were not welcoming them. They were, not, they were treating themselves as they were better than everybody else. And so Paul then says, let me remind you of why we take of the bread and drink of the cup. And he says, for two reasons, really, I want to emphasize today. It's the first off, while we partake of communion, is that we take it to remember Christ's death, to remember what he did for us so we would never forget. And the second reason is that he unites us in his blood and his flesh. Let me read this, and then we'll take a communion. Ephesians 2, 13 through 16 says this. 
For you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. I thank God that he didn't just create peace with me and God, but also peace with myself and peace with my fellow man. And so this morning, as you'll stand with me, we're going to take a communion. I don't know if you normally sit or stand, but to me, it's a reverent thing, and so I want to stand this morning. We're going to sing, and and as we get ready to, to do that and take communion, I want you just to prepare your heart. Here's some things as they distribute the emblems I want you to be thinking about right now. One, it's a great time to confess sins. It's a great time to say, Lord... I've missed this hospitality, this welcome thing. But there's also other things in my life that you know you need to fix and forgive me for. And so you put that before the king that he'd forgive you. And then after he forgives you, I want you to confess his need. So as they distribute this morning, would you just take some time to pray, prepare your heart for communion.
Are you thankful for the blood of Christ? Some days I just walk outside of my house and I just look at creation and I think how powerful it is for him to do and make all of that. But then I think about what he did in here. <laughs> the creation he did inside of my very own life. And so I just pray this morning that as you partake of communion that you will remember of the creation that God did in your heart. What I love about the blood of Christ is that literally everything I've ever done wrong, every evil heart that I've had, every wrong thought I've ever thought is just covered. It's just covered this morning. It's covered. When he looks down upon it, he doesn't see it anymore. And I don't know about you, but when I go before God in prayer, I need to know that he does not see what I used to be. I need him to not see where I came from, what I've done in my secret places, what I've done in the, in the hidden spots of my heart. I need to know that I stand before him righteous and justified. So when we take of the cup, we do just that. Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 through 23, verse 26, For I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup. After supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as, you often, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Mm. Father in heaven, we're not worthy. We're not worthy of the proclamation. We're not worthy, God, to have lips, Lord, to, to say that you are our king. We're not worthy of that. And yet, Lord, you have in your own wisdom and by your own love and by your own grace and through the gifting of your son, Jesus, you have made a way when there was no way. So, Lord, this morning, we respond twofold. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the love that he gave, Lord, to bring us into the body of Christ. But we also respond and say, Father, put the same heart that Christ had who gave his all so that we might be welcomed into the body and the family of Christ whereby we now have the ability to cry, Abba, Father. I pray that that heart would exist in us, that we would be one church welcoming God, those that you love and gave your life for. We ask you, Father, today in Jesus' name.